chapter three, and uh, it's going to be in page, on page uh, 939 in your pew Bibles if you wanted to turn with me there. Hear from God's word. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are uh, evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust know no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate, without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I will rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offerings. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the, the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove your, from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all of your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in, and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, those who have registered for Story Keepers can go ahead and head out now.
while they go ahead and do that, let me pray for our time in God's word that he would bless it. Gracious, loving God, we are thankful that you have given us your word and for the way that it reveals your perfect character, a God who we could never imagine. Lord, we thank you for the way that it talks both about your justice, yet your loving kindness towards your people, for the way that it points us not only to our sin, but to our salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we pray that as we hear from you now in your word, that you would change hearts and minds for Jesus, Lord, that you would help me to speak clearly about the things that you have given to us here. Lord, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I think back a year ago, while we were still in the thick of, of quarantine, Penny and Jasper and I got to spend a lot a lot of time together. Carla uh, had to continue working, obviously, being a nurse, and I was trying to finish my schooling online. So the kids and I got by day to day by doing a whole lot of crafts. A whole lot of, a whole lot of crafts. So I'm, I'm really, really grateful for my sister-in-law, who's a preschool teacher. She basically sent us an activity chest full of, of crafts to keep the kids occupied, basically to keep them from from climbing the walls and then turning against me in mutiny. So that's, that's pretty much what it, what it did for our family. But one of those activities was a coloring page, and it went along with the story of the rainbow fish. Have you heard of the rainbow fish? Some have heard of the rainbow fish. Penny loves the rainbow fish, and she particularly loved this coloring sheet because you had to color the colorful scales of the rainbow fish, and at times cut out aluminum foil pieces because the rainbow fish's scales are, are particularly bright and shiny. Everyone, everyone wants them. But she took it upon herself to add a little bit of embellishments to the picture. She would add different characters to each, each side of the fish. Do you remember your artistic masterpieces as a kid? <laughs> you were so excited to show your work off to the parents. You run to them excited, mom, dad, mom, dad, look what I made. You held this masterpiece high up in the air. Now maybe your artwork was, was really good. Mine looked like some kind of crude stick figures with maybe you know, some pops of color here and there. But you know, as parents, you don't want to discourage your, your kids, so you allow them to interpret the art for you. Right? You might say, oh, honey, it's beautiful. What is it? <laughs> and that's the question. Right? That's the question that opens the floodgates to every little boy and every little girl's imagination because at that moment, their picture could be anything. Those nondescript stick men can be whatever they want them to be. The sky is the limit. And at times, I'm afraid we do this very same thing to God. We turn the God of the universe into our divine stick man. He becomes the God that we say that he is, we oppose on him the characteristics we want our God to have. But the irony of this is that when we do this to God, when we make him the God of our imagination, well, then he's not God at all. So what do you think would happen if you put 10 people into a room together and you ask them, describe, describe your God to me? And I would guess you would find a couple of things. First, you're going to notice that, that all of them are, are different. They might be close, they might share some characteristics, there might be some overlap, but no two of them will be exactly the same. The second thing I think you would come to find is that these stick figure gods, 
begin to take on the attributes of the people who are describing them, their, their creators. So we have this tendency to try to conform God to our image rather than allowing him to shape us, that we would more and more take on his image in his son, Jesus Christ. Now we could spend a lot of time this morning picking apart the examples that we find of this in the evangelical church, perhaps in the society at large, but um, I don't suppose that that would be a good use of our time. Because when we open the word of God, it becomes obvious to us right away that God clearly tells us who he is. We don't need to guess at this. Without leaving the book of Genesis, we already see that God is a creator. He is powerful and yet effortlessly, with just a word, speaks everything into creation. We see that he is a promise-keeping God. He, selfless, he is selflessly loyal to his word, and he is selflessly loyal to those in whom he gives his word. He's a sovereign God, perfectly in control of all that he has made, and providentially working out his plans and his purposes for the good of his people and for his own glory. We can pull all that from Genesis, and we can pull a lot more from that too. The point being is, God himself tells us who he is. We do not need to guess. We do not need to assume. We recognize God by his terms, lest we risk turning him into a stick figure God. The prophet Zephaniah reminds us this morning that God is no stick figure God. He is a God who speaks for himself. He is a God who defends his own name and his own glory. He is a God who displays his own divine character in all of its fullness through the coming day of the Lord. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to attempt to look at the whole book of Zephaniah in summary. Think of this as Zephaniah from 30,000 feet. And what we'll find is that God, speaking through Zephaniah, shatters our self-conceived stick-figure gods and shows us more fully the one true and living God revealed in the Bible. We'll look at this in two parts. The first part will be judgment. The second part will be restoration, all in hopes that we see that God, the God in whom we worship, is not a stick-figure God. To begin, we'll read verses 1 through 8. Hear this again. Woe to her who is the rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust know no shame. I have cut off nations, their battlements are in ruin. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction, then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more, they were eager to make all of their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I will rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. 
For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. I want to start by just saying something really quickly about this phrase, the day of the Lord, that we find throughout uh, the prophetic books in the Old Testament. Often it's used with this double focus in mind. This, the day of the Lord has in mind God's work in, in judging and dismantling the powers that be, the, the forces that oppose him. And at the same time, it anticipates with great joy God's, the fulfillment of God's divine promises when he will establish his eternal kingdom. And Zephaniah, perhaps more than any other prophet, portrays this event most clearly. He gives us a full picture, so to speak, of the extent of God's judgment to Judah and to the surrounding nations, and at the same time, also showing us God's plan for the restoration of his people, as he brings people from all nations to form a new people under his lordship. So as we read Zephaniah 3, we see how it begins with this declaration of judgment, which is exactly the way that the opening chapter of the, of the book starts off. The Lord announces judgment on his very own people, the kingdom of Judah, with this terrifying poetic language that equates the Lord's judgment to, to actually creation itself, kind of shaking at the seams and coming undone. Hear what the prophet writes in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away every man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of heaven and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. As we hear that, we hear this refrain over and over Again, I will sweep away. I will sweep away. And it's very likely that what God is warning of us here is a, a judgment that is not unlike the judgment that we find in the days of Noah, when everything is swept away, literally swept away from the face of the earth by the floodwaters. This should give us an idea of the severity of this message, of the severity of the judgment that God is talking about. But if we pump the brakes for just a second and we ask the question, well, what is actually going on in Zephaniah's time? Why is God actually threatening his people with this severe message of judgment? So Zephaniah preached during the reforms of King Josiah, and we find Josiah in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. And he's memorable for a couple of reasons. One, he was a young king. He became king when he was eight years old. And second, he's probably best remembered as the king who tried to bring spiritual revival to Judah after the long and disastrous reign of Manasseh. After these reforms of Josiah, you might expect that Zephaniah was actually ministering in a profitable time in Judah's history. But we, we would be wrong about that. Here's how the prophet describes the people he was preaching to. He calls them a people who have turned their backs from following the Lord, a people who do not seek or inquire of him. He calls them complacent, those who believe that the Lord will do neither good nor ill. See, what we find here in the, in the folks that Zephaniah is preaching to is that they have essentially put God on this pantheon with the other gods of the nations. Essentially, he's been labeled as just another stick figure God, a one-dimensional deity serving this transactional relationship with man. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. The Lord, the God of Israel, the creator of the world, 
the one who could wash it all away if he so chosen. He didn't belong in this class of gods with the gods of the other nations. He was the, the personal, the covenantal God of the people. And yet in the midst of their idolatry and their heart's corruption, Judah cast their exclusive relationship with God aside and decided to, as some would put it, quote unquote, play the field. And this is something of a religious fad today. People tend to hop from one religion to another, trying them on, seeing which complements their lifestyle, which one allows them to kind of check that religious box without sincerely confronting God or sincerely confronting themselves. It's a way for us to be spiritual without confronting sin, without confronting eternal realities like heaven and hell, without confronting Jesus. And that's the key here, isn't it? That if we ever hope to find true life, that we must confront Jesus and see that, that our story only makes sense through the lens of his story. God in the flesh come to restore broken and lost sinners to the Father. Because when we fail to confront Jesus, when we avoid him, when we, like Judah, put him on the pantheon with all of the other gods of our day, we resort to just playing with stick figures, living a religion of self, when true life comes in Christ alone. So how does God then respond to Judah's infidelity? Well, he vows to punish their sin, to bring justice out of injustice. This display of divine justice doesn't start and stop with Judah. Zephaniah tells us, no, it extends to all the nations, to everyone who has mocked and has taunted the people of God. For this, we have, to, we have to understand something about the, the deep covenantal union between God and his people. I think of one example we could see, you know, if, Car- if Carla and I were walking up into town to go to dinner, and some guy passes us and makes a pass at Carla or makes some crude remark towards her, it's not just an offense to Carla. But in a real way, it's also an offense to me because of the union that she and I have as a married couple. And God's union with Israel is no different. The offense of the nations towards God's people is equally an attack on the Lord himself. Yet even when he's, when he's slighted, because God is the true and living God and not a stick figure God, the Lord will rise up to defend his own name. He will defend his own reputation and he will defend his own glory. In his divine judgment, God will punish sin for the sake of his name. This is the God that we find in the Bible. And yet in the midst of this dark cloud of judgment, we find rays of light and glimmers of hope coming from the Lord through Zephaniah. We read that the God we find in Scripture is not merely a one-dimensional God of wrath, but a God who extends hope and who offers restoration to those who seek it. In chapter 2, verse 3, Zephaniah writes this. He says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Here's the thing. Where do we find shelter as creation crumbles around us? Where do we find protection as the righteous anger of God falls? We find it in the Lord himself. 
This is the God we find in the Bible, the God who offers us hope in the midst of darkness, who offers hope to the hopeless, who offers salvation to the undeserving. You know, this verse that we just read, chapter 2, verse 3, comes at the, the very heart of this torrent of prophetic judgment against Judah and the surrounding nations. And if we're not careful, we can pass it by. But it's here as a reminder to Judah and to the others that no matter how far you've gone, how far you might be, no matter how bad the situation might seem, that there is hope in the Lord, seek him. Seek him, for in him there is hope of restoration. This glimmer of hope in the middle of this darkness brings us to the second half of of chapter 3 where we see the other side of the day of the Lord, God's glorious restoration of his people. Look with me at verses 9 through 20. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all of your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make your renown, and for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So we've alluded to Zephaniah introduces a new dimension into his message in these verses. As we're led to anticipate God's judgment, it's revealed that that judgment must fall; it will fall. But in the wake of the judgment, God creates something new and something beautiful. In the earlier verses, we noted how Judah, because of their stubbornness to, to humble themselves before the Lord, would be among those judged, along with all of the other nations who mocked Judah and mocked God. They too would be judged on the day of the Lord. But in development of this, this new section, it, the development in this new section is how God, in the context of judgment, will form a new community a community of holy people that would be his people. This restored remnant 
will consist not only of the people from Israel, but from, from people from all of the converted nations as well. They will join in the praise and the worship of the one true God. The Lord intends to use acts of divine justice to purify a people for himself. When we consider the historical context in which Zephaniah preached, again, we can, we can see that the fire, so to speak, that God uses to judge his people of their sin in that time is, is this fire of, of exile. The scripture is not really shy about the fact that God tends to use trials and suffering, such as exile. In our time, maybe we would look to the, the virus as a means of purifying our faith. I think for a lot of us, this is hard to swallow, that God would use such extreme measures against those whom he loves to strengthen and purify their faith. It seems tremendously harsh. I would argue it's only harsh or absurd or any other adjective that you might want to put in there if you think this action is coming from a one-dimensional God. If you still have in your mind this stick-figure God who only operates in the small box or the single plane that you give him to operate, then a lot of his plans and his ways are going to frustrate you because the God of the Bible doesn't operate in a box. He doesn't operate off of our directives because he's not a stick figure God. In fact, I think we find as we come to, to know God with greater intimacy through his word and experience greater intimacy with him through our life in Christ, that he is complex beyond our wildest imagination, and yet he communicates to us his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace in the simplest of ways that even a child can understand it. I like the way that John Piper puts this when he says, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next blessing and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph, like Job, like Esther, like Ruth is to help us to Feel in our bones, not just know in our head, but to feel in our bones that God is for us in these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He's plotting the course. He's managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for his glory in Jesus Christ. As we encounter God in the Bible, as we read his word, as we digest it and diligently seek him there, I think what we'll find is a God who far exceeds our hopes and expectations. He's a God who, plans for, who has plans for us that are far beyond our own plans for ourselves. He's a God who, in the words of Zephaniah, who calls the humble and the lowly to be his own. And he continues to do that even today. God is calling those who are ravaged by sin, who are alienated from God, their father, who are facing eternal and divine judgment, and he's welcoming them, calling them to come to him. In fact, he came to us in Christ to give us the invitation personally. Jesus himself knows what it's like to be under that dark cloud of God's wrath, the cloud that was cast over him. He didn't just come to give us the invitation. He came to pay the cost of entry. He hung on a tree willingly, bearing your guilt 
and your sin, your stubbornness, your mockery of God. He bore it upon his shoulders so that you could draw near, so that you could come near to God and have life in him. No, would you believe me if I said that God's righteous anger towards sin gives us reason to sing? What What does the prophet say? Sing aloud, rejoice, and exalt with all your heart. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Now, I can tell you, last week as we, as we worshiped together, I was, I was overcome. And by overcome, I mean I was so choked up that I was trying to read my music back here through, through tears as I heard all of you singing, Oh, Praise the Name. It was such a joy and an encouragement for me to hear your voices singing those words, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forevermore. That it's this little, little foretaste of what I imagine heaven will be like around the throne as the multitude praise the name of God. It's an encouraging thing and it's a beautiful thing. And Christ gives us every reason to continue day by day singing. He is our hope and our reward. It is because of him that we have a place prepared for us where we will dwell with God forever and ever. Zephaniah gives us a picture of God that is anything but a one-dimensional stick figure God. He shows us the God of justice and at the same time the God of hope the God of grace, and it's at the cross of Jesus that these are displayed perfectly. All this serves as a reminder to us that as we worship God, he is no stick figure God. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we thank you for who you are, who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. Father, that you are no stick figure God. You are not a one-dimensional God. Lord, you are vast and complex beyond our imagination, and yet you come to us and reveal yourself to us in the simplest of ways that even we can understand, that we can marvel at you in your glory, in your majesty, and in your works, and all that you have done for us in Jesus, in rescuing us from sin and death through his death on the cross, and assuring us of life, everlasting in his resurrection. Father, I pray for your spirit to encourage us this morning through a text like this, that we remember that you are the God who stands up for yourself, defends yourself, that your will and your ways will be accomplished. Lord, and that you fight for us as well. You've done that in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.